Welcome everybody, so good to see you here again if we've not met yet. Uh, my name is JP, I'm a senior pastor here at Pomerado Christian Church. And uh, I wanna welcome all of you who are joining us, whether it's for your very first time, uh, maybe someone sent you the link, maybe you found us on our website, uh, welcome. We thank you, we honor you for joining us today. And we wanna welcome those of you who this is your church home. Uh, from, our, from my home to your home, uh, we're together and Pomerado is our church home. And so uh, we're so glad to be able to be here with you all as we uh, dive into God's word today. And so uh, I'm gonna go ahead and ask us to um, open up in a word of prayer uh, as we get ready for the sermon and the message that God has for each and every one of us. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for each and every person who hears my voice. Lord, I pray that you are speaking in just a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us, that I would decrease, Lord, and that you would increase. God, I know as we are talking about the third option, we are talking about racial division, we are talking about heavy topics, Lord. So I pray for your spirit uh, to move in the hearts of everyone who hears my voice. And God, that you would encourage us and challenge us um, not to fall into the trap of the two options of us or them, but to choose your third option, which is to honor everyone and honor what we have in common, which is that we are created in your image. So God bless this time we have together as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. So it's a real short passage, uh, but you can go ahead and turn there. And the, the title for our sermon is called Seeing Clearly Part 1. So next week uh, we will talk about Seeing Clearly Part 2. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, some of the uh, ideas and, and concepts from the sermon today are from the book, The Third Option by Ma Pastor Miles McPherson. Uh, if you have not read it yet, have not purchased it yet, I would strongly encourage you to do so as it's gonna do a much better job and a much more thorough job going into these discussions uh, than, than we're able to today. And so part of the reason why um, we're dividing this into two different, um, uh, two di this part into two different sermons, part one and part two, is that I know that this is a lot of heavy stuff, and instead of trying to just give a bunch of information, I'd rather take a focused amount of time, cut the message shorter than I normally would, to be able to hone in on one specific idea. So, with that said, uh, we're talking about seeing clearly, and I've shared this example with you before. Um, if you've joined us in person, or if you've been part of our church for a while, um, you know that um, I've shared that I have um, an eye disorder, or, or um, issue that's called keratoconus, uh, which means that um, my um, corneas are misshaped. So instead of being uh, curved rounded like they should be, they're, they're slightly conical. And so what this means is that just my vision, um, I'm, I'm not able to see clearly unless if I have my glasses on. And, um, and so it's one of those where uh, I've used this picture before, but I want to show it to you again uh, for those of you who might not have remembered, not, might not have joined us last November, or um, just we haven't sh heard it before. But keratoconus, because my corneas are shaped conically, means that um, the, the way the light refracts, the way that I receive information, I'm not able to see things very clearly. Um, I've shared before uh, that my left eye is uh, 2040 at its best. Uh, my right eye is 2200, that's my prescription. And so, or that's my, that's my vision, I should say, uh, which is just incredibly, you know, it, it'd be legally blind if it was, uh, if there's no way to correct it. All that to say, I wanted to give you a picture of what keratoconus looks like. So um, if you look at the screen here, um, if you're looking at your phone, maybe turn it so you can zoom in or you know, you look fully um, or you know, just be able to look at it. You can see this is from New York, uh, there's cabs, but you can see how nothing is very defined. It, it's not clearly seen. 
And so the idea is without corrective lenses, someone with keratoconus like I have, um, this is kind of how we see. It's just, there's nothing that's sharp. Uh, there's little halos around lights, if you guys can see that, little, little headlights. Um, and it's just, it's just not distinct, it's not clear. Contrast that with what um, a normal, you know, if you have a normal vision or if your vision is proper, it looks like that, right, on the far side there. So you could see the contrast of what it looks like to live with keratoconus and not have corrective lenses, not be able to see things clearly, and then what, it actually, what reality actually looks like. And the reason we're talking about this today is that for seeing clearly, all of us, maybe you don't have keratoconus, but we all have our own prescription, we all have our own eyesight, and it's incredible to think about how much our eyesight dictates what we take into the world, right? How we perceive the world, um, what makes sense to us, what doesn't make sense to us, is, is a lot of it is taken through our eyes. And so in our section today, Mark 8, we're gonna look at someone who was blind and how Jesus worked with this man uh, to walk through that. But the point is that we all have our own prescriptions. We all have our own way of seeing things. We all have our own um, vision and um, when I was at the doctor most recently, or the eye doctor, excuse me, uh, they said that this eye was so bad they couldn't even get a lens to like make it look fine. She tried to like um, put one lens and then put like another lens on top of it to get an idea. And even then it, it was fine, but not great. So, but we all have that. And so what Pastor Miles talks about in the third option and what I would like to, to introduce and propose in our sermon today is the idea that all of us, in the same way that we all have a certain vision or, or prescription for our eyes and how we see the world, we all have a social narrative through which we see the world. How does Pastor Miles refer, uh, define social narrative? You see it on the screen here. Our social narrative is the story we believe about who we are, how we are to be, and how we want to be known. It's also the story about who we think everyone else is and how we think they will likely act towards us. In, in other words, it's how we've perceived from our family, from our upbringing, from the groups that we've hung out with, from our culture, from our faith, from all these things. So social narratives aren't bad. There may be ones that are flawed, but in and of themselves, they're not bad to have a social narrative because we all have one. For each person that is on this earth has a different social narrative. Even siblings, even twins will have different experiences that will shape the way that they view themselves, the way that they view those around them, the way that they want to be perceived, and the way they perceive others. So the social narrative is this idea that we need to evaluate in order to see clearly other people, we need to see the frame, the lenses, the prescription through which we are seeing lives and how we've grown up seeing our lives. So for example, for some people, if you've grown up in an area that is um, very diverse, if you grew up in California, have always lived in California, that would be something that would allow you to kind of just be more used to seeing different types of people. Um, and so right or wrong, you'd have more interactions with them. Um, and so that might mean that those are positive interactions. Sometimes they're negative interactions because we're all people and we all fall short of the glory of God and that we all make mistakes and we all sin. And so we all have our bad moments. And so we could all portray ourselves or our um, faith or our race or whatever it may be in a way that could be negative. But the idea is that if you grew up there, here, you would be used to seeing many races. 
Uh, in contrast, when I went to Haiti, um, I shared this, uh, well, I talked about Haiti recently. Um, when I went there, there were, and I talked about playing at the island of Tortuga and playing with some of the Haitians, uh, the Haitian kids there. And I don't know if you've ever played this game called Hot Hands, um, and maybe you have and haven't heard the name of it, but it's the one where you, you, know, you put your hands in and someone else puts their hands on top, right? And the goal is to slap their hand, right? Or to hit, slap that way, slap that way. And if you hit them, then you, you get to keep going. If you miss, then you go on top and then they try to slap your hands. So Hot Hands, very simple. Um, and so I was, some of the, the Haitian kids were playing with some of my team members. Um, for context, uh, the majority of my team, um, there were um, people who were white, there were so, uh, a couple of Hispanic, um, there were some that were, um, yeah, mostly white and Hispanic, and then me, like half Chamorro, half Guamanian, uh, and half white. And so on this, when we started playing hot hands, uh, I asked some of the Haitians, would you like to play hot hands with me? And they said, no, no. And they pointed at me and they said, you're Jet Li. And I'm like, what? You're like, no, no, you're Jet Li because they could see some Asian features and, and their social narrative that from the view that they had, they did not see a lot of people who had an Asian background or a Pacific Islander background, definitely not a Chamorro from Guam background. And so their perspective was so much that I was just, I was just a general uh, Asian that I must be so good at hot hands because I must be just like Jet Li, who is famous martial artist. Like that, that was their perception. Not accurate, because I'm slow as molasses, but, um, but that was the perception, because that was their social narrative. All of us have different social narratives, and we all need to address that. So for our main point today, we talk about the third option, is showing honor to everyone, to honor what we have in common with people of all different races, socioeconomic statuses, uh, countries from which we dwell or from which we came, um, anything else that might divide us. How do we choose the third option to honor what we have in common, which is that we are made in the image of God. Well, our main point today is this idea that before we can honor the stories of others, we must first see our own stories clearly. We must see our own stories clearly. And so let's jump right in uh, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark um, is written by John Mark, who we learned about in the, story, uh, the season of Colossians, uh, the series of Colossians last uh, few weeks. Uh, and he wrote the Gospel of Mark, uh, talking about Jesus and his life. Um, and so if you want to follow along in Mark 8, you can have your Bibles. You can use that Bible app. Or if you're watching on the um, church online platform, uh, there's a Bible tab. You can click Mark 8, starting in verse 22. And so I'm going to read verses 22 through 25, and then um, we will uh, unpack this a little bit to see how do we get to a point where we can see clearly, see our own stories clearly, and therefore be able to honor the other stories of others. Mark 8 verse 22 says this, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And then I'll read the last verse too, but it says, Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So in order for us to see clearly, let's look at how Jesus interacted with the blind man. Because 
our social narratives, it's not that we're completely blind. It's not that we can't understand and perceive the world properly at all, but it means that we cannot see what we cannot see. We cannot see what we've never experienced. We cannot understand that which is outside of our field of vision. You go back to those blurry photos, I wouldn't know that there were faces on that corner because I just couldn't see it. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person, but it means I had a blind spot. I had an inability to be able to see clearly. So. Let's look at these four very quick, very brief steps that Jesus outlines for us, or we see rather, Jesus works in order to help us to see clearly. The first one is that we need Jesus's guidance to begin seeing clearly. We see this in verse 22 when it says that, or excuse me, 22 talks about how they brought the man and they begged Jesus to touch him. But 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. You know, Inside the village, everyone knew this man to be blind. Inside the village, this man was known a certain way. He leads him outside of the village. And there could be several reasons for it. One reason might be to get him outside of the perspective that he'd always had before and the perspective others had had of him. In fact, that might be why they tell him to go away from the village. He says, you are not the same person. Now go and um, you you don't even need to go back in there. But we see that he led him by the hand. He took him by the hand and led him outside. We need... Jesus' guidance to fully be able to see clearly. Because if we turn to the same news stations that we've always watched, if we turn to the same people with whom we've always spoke, if we've turned to the same cultures that we've only always known, and if we never diversify what it is that we're taking in, then our prescription is going to stay the same regardless. It's never gonna change, it's never gonna develop, and our scope is never gonna widen. So it's both that we won't see as clearly and we won't see as fully. So Jesus needs to be the one to walk us through that. It can't just be because people online are telling us we need to learn. Yes, we need to learn, but we need to learn because Jesus is stirring within us and challenging us and convicting us and opening our eyes in the most literal and figurative of senses in order to see clearly what is going on in the world around us. And so when you, maybe you watched the Phil Vischer video last week about race, maybe you've read books and maybe you read the third option and maybe we didn't want to receive or accept how, how crazy things have been, how difficult things have been for people of color. And maybe it's just a moment of saying, okay, Jesus, you need to lead me through this because I don't see it. But because I love you, Jesus, I want to love your people and your kids no matter what they look like. And so help me, lead me, guide me through this, Jesus, so that I can have your guidance, so I could see my own story clearly, so that I can have a proper vision in order to see and to honor those around me. So number two, the idea of seeing clearly can be messy. This is not a simple, straightforward, you know, everything's fine right away. In fact, how do we know it can be messy is that in verse 24, or sorry, verse 23, the second part of it, said that Jesus had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. And Jesus asked, do you see anything? And, you know, our initial thought is like, hey, if I went to the doctor because I've been having problems with my eyes, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I started to, my first time when I had keratoconus, um, when I went into the doctor for it, I was 18. And, you know, I couldn't imagine going in there and they say, you know, you have this progressive disease. It's going to get worse as you grow older. Uh, If it gets really bad, we might need to transplant your corneas. But for now, you know, we just need to wear some contacts. But before we wear some contacts and then 
just spits right in my eyes and tries to fix it, right? Like that would be, that's messy, that's, that's gross. That's not what we would expect from our you know, healthcare, uh, healthcare providers, right? But the idea is that Jesus spat, and it's not the only time he spits in the Bible for a healing. We see it in Mark 7 as well. And then we also see it in John chapter 9 when he heals a man born blind. So there's something to it outside of just, you know, G- Jesus doesn't need a certain um, action. He doesn't need to spit in order to uh, be able to heal someone. He doesn't need to lay hands on people. He can do it through the words of his mouth and they find out later on the person was healed at the same time. So he doesn't need a certain method. However, there may be a reason why um, we see that Jesus spat. And um, part of the idea is that um, I was reading on uh, gotquestions.org, which is a, a good resource if you have questions about faith and Jesus and the Bible. Um, and it talked about how there were some Roman writers and Jewish, Jewish scholars who saw saliva or who viewed saliva as something that was a, that had healing properties, right? And, you know, it's not, we wouldn't equate it this way because we're not um, like animals, but you see, you know, when animals are wounded, like if a cat hurts itself, they, they would lick, right? Like there were, there's something about just saliva that you might see an animal doing it. Oh, there must be some sort of healing property because, you know, cats do it again. We don't do that, but I'm just saying. So looking at this idea of wondering, okay, there were some that this idea of spitting would signal the intent to the culture around him who had Roman scholars and Jewish scholars around there by spitting on the ground or by spitting on the, on the man's eyes would signal, I'm about to heal you to some of them, not to all, but it would be signaling that to some of them. You know, it, it would be the idea if someone, uh, if you were going to a doctor's visit and you know, you go and there's the, there's the table where you sit on and it's like someone, you know, they, what do they do? They will often pull it down that piece of paper and they rip it so that you see that's a brand new one, right? And the doctor comes in and, and grabs, you know, a, um, a clipboard or grabs something to try to take some, down some notes or, you know, they start to get the stethoscope or whatever. They, there's certain things that you just think, okay, I'm going to be helped right now or they're going to check on me. It was a signal towards what was going to happen. The spitting was a signal towards Jesus going to heal this man. And working at a restaurant, so not, not um, connected to uh, this, exactly, uh, this idea exactly, but working at a restaurant, there were certain signals that you would learn, right? There were some that were super obvious, like when people who wanted refills just would hold up their drink and wouldn't try to get your attention. They would just hold up their drink until they wanted you to see that they needed some more water or soda, whatever it was. So that's an obvious signal and one that can be, frankly, a little annoying. Um, but there are others where, you know, if someone, if you give the menu to someone and they close their menu before they've ordered, that's a signal, okay, they're ready to order, right? If someone's finished their meal and they put, you know, they, they put the plate down and the fork and the knife, you know, parallel in the corner, that's usually a signal that they're done and the plate can be um, bust or taken away. Uh, if there's a, for us, we would put the, the check, we would put the check kind of sitting like this and the check would stick out. If someone put the check, the book that had the check in it, um, flat on the table, I knew that they'd already looked at it and they were ready to take it. There's just little signals that point to um, what's going to happen or what the next step would be. So Jesus, being able to just spit, show them, this is a signal, I'm going to heal you. But the part of that that we want to focus on even more so than the actual spitting, the act of that, is the fact that it was messy. That it was this idea if he was spitting into someone's eyes, that, that the man had to go and then like rub them. And it, this is not easy. It wasn't like just some miracle, like I said, where Jesus says, be healed. And he's healed. That this was a messy healing, a messy 
miracle and walking through our own um, blind spots, which we'll talk about next week, but our own perspective, our own social narrative, what it is that we learn from our parents, our family, our friends, our culture, what it is that we think about ourselves and how that impacts what we think about others, that can be messy. And I've shared this journey that I've been on trying to learn more about the Chamorro culture and, and it's hard to think about um, just areas in which I've missed out on things or I want my girls to learn more and it's messy to wrestle with things and then wrestle with my own questions as to why haven't I asked earlier. You know, it's just, it's messy. And we, we, it's okay for us to acknowledge it. And it's okay for us to acknowledge it no matter whether it's this situation or other things. In church, we need to acknowledge that it's okay for us to have messiness in our lives. At my old church, we would say, come as you are, but we don't want you to stay as you are. What does that mean? That we want people to be changed by God through discipleship, through God's word, through worship, through community, in order to be different, in order to make a change in the world around them for Christ. So it's messy. We can all come with our messes and that's okay. And it's healthy and it's how it should be as long as we offer those messes up to God and then we allow him to heal us completely from them. Which leads us to the next point. Seeing clearly, not only can it be messy, it's a process. Notice how in verse 23 at the end, he says, do you see anything? Verse 24, he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open. His sight was restored and he was seeing and he saw everything clearly. It wasn't immediate. It, it was messy, but it also took stages that you might just be in a stage right now where just hearing this message is, or these series of messages or hearing what's going on causes frustration and it's hard and it's heavy, but just listening and just still being here and, and, and staying with me and staying with us is so vitally important because this is a process for all of us to go through. And so this man, at first he, he was blind and then he could kind of see a little bit. He saw, you know, men and tree, it looked like trees walking. He couldn't tell. It was like keratoconus. It was unclear and it, was, it wasn't able to be um, obvious, but he eventually was able to, the second time he saw more clearly. When it comes to evaluating our social narratives, evaluating the prescription through which we've seen our lives, it's messy and it's going to take a while. God's going to have to unpack things in our lives. We're going to have to ask hard questions. We have to find a group of trusted people to walk us through some of these hard questions. And so it's not easy and it's not immediate, but it is worth it. And lastly, we see this idea that we need Jesus's healing touch to begin seeing clearly. We need his guidance at the beginning to lead us into this process. But notice how many times in these few verses, it talks about Jesus touching this man to provide healing. We see it in verse 22, they begged Jesus to touch him. Verse 23, that he led him, he took him by the hand as he was touching him. Verse three, he spat in the man's eyes and he put his hands on him while he's touching him. Verse 24, Again, he says, this is what I see. Then verse 25, once more, he, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And then his eyes were open. He could see everything clearly. See, Jesus needs to touch our hearts, touch our lives, touch our eyes to help the, the blindness or our previous perspectives to be the, the, the scales to fall from our eyes, for the scope to widen, and for us to see our story and evaluate the way through which we see the world 
so that it helps us to better know how to honor and love others and the way that they see the world. And when the way they see it and the way that we see it is different, being able to acknowledge, let's choose the third option and let's say, hey, I don't understand and I don't know everything you're going through, but I wanna make sure that I'm on the same page as honoring you and showing you honor. Because that's the problem that we see with a lot of things going on is that you know, a lot of dynamics are, you know, you're either pro-African-Americans or you're pro-police. Um, and the answer is no, it's both. It's being able to have the third option and honor all of us in the image of God and that there is no one that's all right and one that's all wrong. It's the idea that we're all in God's image and we all need Jesus. And if we all chose the third option to honor one another, then instead of walls being built between communities or between people groups or between in-groups and out-groups or between political parties or between different things that divide us, instead of walls being built, walls would be broke down and bridges would be built. From walls to bridges is what Jesus is calling us to, to be not just peacekeepers who hope everything's okay, but to be peacemakers, to make a way where there is no way. So what I'm going to do is, again, as we talk about the optometrist, and I just have a, a couple moments left with you. Um, the optometrist, they give us those eye tests, right? And so the eye test is like, they'll put on the thing, they'll cover one eye, and they say, okay, is number one look better or number two? Uh, number two, okay, number two or number three? Uh, number three, number three or number four? Uh, number three, okay. Then they, you know, number three or number seven or whatever. And I always feel anxious about that. Not, not that I'm gonna get the wrong answer, but it's like, I'm the only one who can assess my own vision. They can help and they have tools, but I'm the only one who can say whether number one or number two looks better, number two or number three. And so I wanna do the best I can to be accurate and, and honest in that assessment. I'm gonna show about three questions that I would encourage and challenge you to find a group of people um, and do it you know, in your family or in your homes, do it with people over the phone, do it through Zoom, whatever. But find a group of people with whom you can ask these questions, process these next few questions honestly, candidly, openly, and without judgment so that you can learn about your social narrative and that they can, you can learn from them as well. So these three questions are in Pastor Mal's books about the three questions that help shape our social narrative. The first was, when was the first time that you were aware of your own ethnicity? I don't know if this is the first time, but I specifically remember freshman year of high school when uh, I was in class, I had my shaved head. I hadn't shaved my face yet, so I had a little mustache. Um, I tried at least, I don't know. But uh, there was a, a, a young boy, another, well, he was another freshman, um, and he was white, and he just looked at me, and I don't even know what we were talking about, and he was just joking around with me, but he was just like, you know, you Mexicans always think you know how to box. And I was literally just so dumbstruck, dumbfounded, because I was like, one, you know, I don't know what you're talking about boxing, I definitely don't know how to box. Um, and two, I'm not Mexican. I, 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 don't, I don't have Mexican blood in my body. So it was this assumption that someone clearly showed me, one, that I was different than them, not intending to be rude, but that was clear, and then two, it was clear to that person that they didn't know what I was. Like, what was my culture? What was my country? What was my nationality? What was my ethnicity? And because other people haven't known it and because it's, it's been hard for me, it's therefore now I can question how, how much of that impacts my life, right? So it may not be the first, but it's the first one that really jumps out because he guessed wrong. <laughs> and so... I'm, uh, people wouldn't know what I am to the point where sometimes it's hard for me to know culturally what I am and what I'm, and I'm trying to, again, it's messy and it's a process. So I'm walking through that with you in this season as well. So the next one is 
what were you told by your family about people of other ethnic groups? And for me, we didn't, I don't see our family talked about it a lot, but I knew how racism had um, hurt our family and how it hurt me because again, my, my maternal side, uh, grandparents who were white rejected my, my dad when they got married and our family, so he never got to know us. Uh, they never got to know us. So that, I knew how much it hurt. We didn't necessarily talk about specific ethnic groups, but I just knew the pain that it cost me and our family. So I was just aware of trying to be more um, respectful and honoring towards culture. It's not that I'm perfect at it by any means, but that was what I received. It wasn't so much what I was taught, but it was the message that I caught that racism hurts. So let's not be part of it. And then the last one is how did it make you feel to share those answers with your group? So do it in a group and then say, how did that make you feel? And how did their answers affect you? Because when we talk about how we feel, that's when it says, you know, it hurts me that I, that people don't know what I am and therefore I don't know how much to take a hold of my Guamanian Chamorro heritage. It hurts me when people assume things about me that A, aren't true and then not even, they're stereotyping about other people groups that aren't true. So that hurts, right? And it hurts to, to think about racism. So I, I can think about this, you know, it hurt. And then when I hear other people, and maybe they've been hurt, then all of a sudden we have a mutual bridge now. We're not us versus them, we're, hey, we've all been hurt. Let's honor the hurt that we've experienced and let's honor the image of God within each of us by choosing the third option. So this whole idea of making sure that as we are looking at the eye test and as we are evaluating those things, we're gonna hit on blind spots next week. Uh, but I wanna just focus on our social narrative, our eye test, and evaluating the fact that we know that all of us have a different prescription and all of us have a different struggle and a different background. So all of us are coming into something. So even when you meet someone that you think you're right and you think they're wrong, let's honor that they have a different experience and let's have these conversations to learn from, to hear from, and to grow from those experiences. Because one of the ways that we honor people is by looking them in the eye, giving them our attention, listening to them well, encouraging them and acknowledging how much God loves them. And so, will you join me in a word of prayer as we close our sermon for today? Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that you would um, guide our time um, as we are wrestling with things this week. Father, I pray that you would help us to um, have, uh, if there's things, areas of blindness, Lord, er perspectives that we have, that you would tear those down and it's messy, it's a process and we reach out for your hand to guide us through this so that we could love one another better. We could reach people of all ethnicities for your kingdom and that we could uh, be healed from our brokenness as well. So God, work in us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we enter into a time of communion, as we saw a reminder of how much we needed Jesus' healing touch, uh, for the man with the blindness, for us with our own perspectives, but how much we all need his healing for our own sin. And so we're going to take communion, which the bread reminds us of his body that was broken for us. And the cup reminds us of the blood, or the bread reminds us of his body that was broken, and the cup reminds us of the blood that was shed. So that we may have eternal life when we admit that we're sinners, that we believe that Jesus died for us, and we confess him as Lord of our lives. So for those of you who've come prepared to take communion, please feel free to partake in the bread and the cup in remembrance of the fact that Jesus' healing touch, both physically and spiritually, is what we all need most in our lives. So please feel free to partake as you feel led.
Lord, we love you. We ask for your help today. We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your help. We ask for your grace. And we ask for the supernatural ability to honor what you've done in our lives and in so doing, honor those around us. So God, we love you. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, if you need prayer, please don't hesitate to click the live prayer button. Uh, I'd love to be able to pray with you um, this weekend over, over the chat message. Um, but also just know how much God loves you. I know this is hard. Let's wrestle with it together. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for your love uh, for God and your love for our church. Uh, it's an honor to be your pastor. And so I honor you and thank you for who you are. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you, and may he grant you his peace, because you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. Don't you forget it. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday morning. God bless you all, and have a wonderful, wonderful week.